Amen. What a good thing it is to meditate on the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead and open up your copy of God's Word to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verses 3 through 11, is going to be our text for this morning. A little bit of a break from the book of John. I'm uh, pinch hitting for Jeff this week. Is that what it's called? I'm learning baseball and softball as we play. As you're turning to Hebrews 12, I would like to say that I did not grow up Baptist, uh, but I've been here almost four years now, and I have learned the ways of preaching. So I'm going to start with an illustration. I'm going to give three alliterated points, and we're going to end with a poem. So just so you all know where we're going. But before we do that, let us stand for the reading of God's word. This is Hebrews 12. Verses 3 through 11, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this. Consider him, that is Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may, hear this, share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for the opportunity that it is to be gathered today as your body. Lord, before I begin preaching this morning, I want to pray for two things. Firstly, I want to pray for myself, that you would guard me from pride and that you would guard me from error. Lord, I pray that up here I would be a mere vessel for your truth and nothing more. Lord, I pray that the words that I speak would not be my words, but that they would be yours. Lord, secondly, I want to pray for this congregation and the guests here this morning. Lord, I pray as my childhood pastor prayed that this text would touch them at their point of greatest need. That by your Holy Spirit's power, our eyes would be unblinded and our deaf ears would be opened to see and to hear what you have for us. Lord, you know... You alone know how much this text has spoken to me over the past seven months of my life. Lord, I pray for your glory and for these people's good that you might do the same to them today. And if anyone in this room does not yet know you, we pray that they would know you before they leave this building today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
The title of my sermon this morning, as you can see, is Enduring Discipline for the Purpose of Godliness. Enduring Discipline for the Purpose of Godliness. And as I was meditating on this text and meditating on this title, a story in my own life came to mind, as it often does. Some of you know that last Saturday I actually ran a half marathon. Now don't get too excited, it wasn't a full marathon, it's just a half marathon. And I'm going to be honest with you, I barely made it. It was 13.1 miles of the hardest pain in my entire life. It was the first time I have ever run 13.1 miles, and it might be the last time I ever run 13.1 miles. But through that entire experience, I learned something. I learned the importance of training, the importance of training. Me and my best friend, we decided we wanted to run this half marathon about three months ago. So three months ago, we started training. And it started off pretty easy, you know, some two miles, some three miles. But those quickly turned into four miles and five miles to the point where we were running 12 miles just to train before we would actually run the race. And I want to confess to you all that without that training, I would have never been able to run the 13.1 miles. But with that training, I was able to do it. And and that all taught me this lesson that in order to get better at something, you have to work hard. And we know this. We know that if we want to get stronger, we have to lift weights. We know that if we want to get smarter, we have to read books. We know that if we want to get healthy, we have to go on a diet. But for some reason, when it comes to life, we want the easy way out. Like my last sermon, we so often want the promised land, but we don't want the desert. We want the crown, but we don't want the cross. We want the training, but we don't want the trial. But here in Hebrews 12, I think the anonymous author of the book of Hebrews is telling us that that is simply not how life works. In the context of Hebrews 12, we understand that for the first 10 verses of this book, the author has been showing us the superiority of Jesus Christ. Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's better than every high priest that has come before him. And because he is better, he mediates a better covenant. And in light of that covenant of mercy, in light of the fact, if you will, that we can be saved by Christ's blood and his resurrection, the author in Hebrews 11 shows us that we ought to live by faith. Just like all of the Old Testament saints, we need to live by faith. And I'm not a PhD on the book of Hebrews, but I think in chapter 12, the author shows us that if we desire to live by faith, we need to endure discipline. And we're going to unpack what that looks like. But I want to state before you this morning that my main point this morning is this. And I put it, it's one main point, and I don't want to confuse you, but I put it in three different ways. Just grab whichever one makes more sense to you. I'm simply hitting the diamond from a different angle. So firstly, we must endure for the sake of discipline. We must endure for the sake of discipline. In other words, we must go through trials in order to be trained. Or put most simply, we must suffer so that we can become more like Well, how do we do that? How do we endure trials? How do we endure discipline? Well, the author of the book of Hebrews in these short verses is going to give us three ways in which we endure trial. 
starting in verses 3 through 4, point number 1, we endure discipline by following Christ's example. Let us reread verses 3 and 4. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Here the first word of our text is consider. This is an imperative verb. This is telling you what to do. Biblically, to consider means to reason with careful deliberation. To meditate. To compare and contrast. Well, what are we comparing? What are we meditating on? The text says him. And based on verses 1 and 2, we know that this him is Christ. The author here tells us to consider Christ. Well, what are we considering concerning Christ? We consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Brothers and sisters, this is why I had Casey sing that song, Jerusalem, before I got up to preach. Because I think that that song just encapsulates for us the great hostility that the Lord underwent for our salvation. 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 23, put it this way. That Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Christ committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Brothers and sisters, Christ has given us an example, not only how to live, but also how to suffer. Though he sinned not, he was sinned against. Though he reviled not, they reviled him. He was completely innocent, though he endured such hostility. And let us realize this morning that though Christ be much more than our example, he is never less than our example. Yes, he atoned for us. Yes, he rose again from the grave. But he has also given us an example that we ought to imitate. And that is what the author of Hebrews is encouraging us to do amidst our suffering, to consider Christ. Why? So that we might not grow weary or faint-hearted. The idea here is is running a race. These two verbs refer to, to what a runner would do when he was done with his race. When he crossed that finish line, he would become weary and he would, as other translations put it, give up when he was done. But the author of Hebrews is saying here that our race is not done until you cross, as we would say, that final finish line in the sky. The Lord has called us to not grow weary or faint-hearted as we look to Christ. Furthermore, in verse 4, look at, look at what the author says. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted the point of shedding your blood. Don't you love that? Hey, by the way, your life might be hard, but you haven't even had to use a band-aid yet. I think what the author is trying to get at here is he's not trying to belittle our struggles and to tell us that our struggles aren't real. Let us realize that every trial in life, big or small, is still a trial. But I think what he's doing is he's putting it in proper perspective. He's helping us to realize that, yes, though we may suffer, Christ has suffered more. Christ has shed his blood for our sins. Christ, along with all of the Old Testament martyrs that are spoken of in chapter 11, have suffered way more than this original audience to Hebrews has, but also more than we have. And if Christ has succeeded, and even by the Holy Spirit's power, if those in chapter 11 have succeeded, how much more ought we to succeed based on their example? 
Brothers and sisters, when I was running that half marathon, it was so nice to have someone in front of me to not only show me where I was supposed to go, but also to pace me. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Christ is your example. He is your pacer. He is the one who is showing you how to live and where to go. One final thing on this last point. Notice this, this small little phrase, in your struggle against sin. In your struggle against sin. There are two ways to interpret that little tiny phrase. One way is to interpret this as our internal temptations, our fleshly nature, right? And our own personal struggle against sin. And our call to worship uh, and our <clears throat> later in the service, we read Exodus 20, right? We understand that, that we all have these we all have these internal struggles that fight against the commands that God gives us. Perhaps that is what the author is talking about here. But also the author could be talking about our struggle against those who sin against us. These persecutors, those who try to tear us down for our faith, those who try to get us to deny the faith. That certainly was the direct context of the book of Hebrews. What I want to encourage you with this morning is maybe it's internal pressure, maybe it's external pressure, but maybe it's both. Maybe it's just this life that has been cursed by sin as we struggle against it and we are called to not grow weary. We endure discipline by following Christ's example. But our second point for this morning, we endure discipline by forgetting not God's love. Now, I understand I could have put remembering God's love. But if I put remembering God's love, not all of the points would have started with the same letter. So that's why I put forgetting not God's love. Read with me verses 5 through 10. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. This is our key for this morning. That it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subjects to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time. As it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us, hear this, for our good. Why? So that we may share in his holiness. In these four, seven verses, we find the term discipline, or a, or a word that means almost the same thing, used nine times. It's our key word for this morning, discipline. And I think a lot of times when we think of the term discipline, our mind goes straight to punishment. And once again, I'm not a PhD on the book of Hebrews, but I think that the biblical term for discipline, though it includes punishment, is much more than punishment. What do I mean by that? Well, the Greek word for discipline is closely tied to the Greek word for child. And I think that it, it includes two types of discipline. Firstly, corrective discipline. This is, in other words, punishment. Y'all are familiar with this. When your child does something they're not supposed to do, you discipline them, you rebuke them, you correct them. But I think there's another type of discipline that is helpful to understand here. And I'm going to call it educational discipline. This is when you tell your child not to do something even before he does it. Think of the term disciple, right? 
just because you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, right? I, I think it doesn't always mean you're getting punished, but I think it also means that, that as a disciple, we are being shown how to live. I think we fall under the error of Job's friends if we think that every time a trial in our life happens, it is because of our own sin. The Lord uses trials in our lives, yes, maybe to punish us, but also to give us education on how to live. So I would like to propose to you this morning that discipline is simply training through trial. Training through trial. It is instruction by means of suffering, right? Life is hard and life is painful sometimes. Just like me running that half marathon, it was difficult, but through it, I was trained. So he shows in verses 5 and 6 this, this proverb. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. He quotes directly from Solomon. And in verse 6, he shows us something that is countercultural. How many times have you heard it said? Or have maybe you said to yourself, If God was really real, if God was really real, and if God really loved me, then my life would be so much better. If God really existed, and if he really cared about me, then X, Y, and Z would not be happening to me. Well, the author of Hebrews, I think, tells us the opposite of that fact. He says that the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. One commentator puts it this way. <clears throat> I have to find it in my notes. Hold on. Many of us say that if God was not real, if he really loved me, then he would not allow this to happen. But rather, suffering is evidence. Not that God does not love us, but that he does love us. When we go through trials, we understand, though it may be painful, that God is doing a work in us that would not be done otherwise. Brothers and sisters, maybe someone in this room is, is doubting your, your salvation this morning. I think there's many texts that deal with this, but I think this could be one of them. That maybe you're asking yourself, man, am I really saved because God's just being really hard on me. I don't know your heart. The Lord knows your heart. But I want to encourage you that maybe why the reason the Lord is being so hard on you is because he's getting you ready for something greater. After quoting this proverb, we, we read the, the main statement, I think, of this whole text in verse 7. That it is for discipline that you have to endure. This is where I got my main point of the text. I think, this, I think the entire text surrounds this verse. It is for discipline you have to endure. It's a little bit of a confusing statement, but what, what the author is getting at here is that the reason why we must endure through trials is that so God can discipline us and so instruct us in how to live. The reason why we go through trials is that we might be trained. How many of y'all have asked yourself before, why in the world is life so hard? Why in the world do I try so hard? Why don't I just give up? Well, this verse tells us why. It is for discipline. It is for training. It is for instruction. It is so that you may become more like Christ. Romans 5, suffering produces character. And this is good news and bad news, right? Let's be honest. Good news and bad news. Firstly, the bad news is this tells us that there's no cheat code. I can't wake up in the morning and, you know, pray a secret prayer, you know, open my iPad and type in a secret code and make all my life troubles go away. As it is often said, the only way out is through. 
But the good news is this, is that we might not have a cheat code, but we have a success formula. And what is that? Endurance. And by the Holy Spirit's power, by the example given by our Lord Jesus Christ, we can endure, and that's good news. And the rest of this short section of our verse is the, the author of Hebrews tells us about the loving fatherly discipline of God. The loving fatherly discipline of God, verses 7 through 10. I'm going to ask you guys a question, and I want some participation here by your raising of hands. How many of you were disciplined by your earthly father? Raise your hand. How many of you were disciplined? All right, almost everybody. Okay, you can put your hands down. There might be some exceptions, but most of us were uh, disciplined by our earthly fathers. Second question, by raise of hands. How many of you are a son of your father? A son of your father? Oh, so I, you know what? I just realized what I did. How many of you are a son or daughter of your father? There we go. There we go. All right, all of the hands should be raised. All right, good job. What's, what's the point? What's the author of Hebrews' point? Is that the discipline that your father and your mother corrected you and educated you with proved that they were your children? Let me ask the parents in the room. How many of y'all, the last time you went to Walmart, started disciplining somebody else's kid? I don't, I don't know what your life looks like. Maybe that's what you do on your Tuesday morning. But I don't know. Um, but I would guess that usually when you go into Walmart and there's a toddler screaming that's not your toddler, you might say in your mind, hey, could you just stop screaming? But you're not going to walk up. Once again, I don't know your life. But more than likely, you're not going to walk up to that toddler and rebuke and discipline that toddler. Once again, I, I don't know. But if it was your own kid, you know that you would. You know that you would, right? And what does that show us? That shows us that discipline is a proof of sonship. How much more, the author of Hebrews says, is God's discipline upon us. That through our trials that he sovereignly gives us by his sovereign hand, we can know that we are loved and that we are the sons of God. A couple applications here. Look at the second part of verse 9. This question, shall we not much more be subjects to the Father of Spirits and live? Uh, the Father of Spirits here, I think that's simply referring to how God is our heavenly or our spiritual Father. In contrast to the fact that we have earthly fathers, don't let that confuse you. It's kind of a peculiar title of God, but that's kind of what it's getting at. But the author of Hebrews asked this question, should we not much more be subject, or in other words, obey the Father of Spirits and live? love that word, that word live. It brings me back to Psalm 1, this picture of a blessed life. Brothers and sisters, maybe you think you're missing out on life this morning. And you might think that the solution is whatever. I could give examples. But whatever. Money, sex, drugs. Maybe just not coming to church on a Sunday morning. But the author of Hebrews here he asks us this rhetorical question, why not much more be obedient to the Holy Spirit and live? This is true life, that we obey the Lord and the one whom he has sent. But also, I want to encourage fathers. The first part of verse 10 phrases it, phrases our, our earthly fathers this way. It says, for a short time, as it seemed best to them, they disciplined us. Now, I, I don't know for sure, but I think there's room in the text here to, to realize that our earthly fathers aren't perfect. And likewise, Father in this room, be encouraged that the only perfect Father is our Heavenly Father. And maybe some of you fathers need to hear that this morning. 
that yes, you can look to God, our Father, our true perfect Father for an example, but when you fail in your fatherhood, you realize that God is a merciful Father. But also children in the room. And by the way, I'm defining children as anyone under the age of 19. Respect your parents. They are not disciplining you for the purpose that you might resent them. If they are truly godly and truly attempting to honor the Lord, though they may fail for the moment, they are trying to show you a good way to live life. Do not resent them. Be thankful. I know that in my life, I'm going to call my mom and tell her this this afternoon, (laughs) but just realizing now that I'm in college or graduating from college next week, how thankful I am for their discipline. Because I would not be where I am today without their discipline. And children in the room, though you might not realize that now, you will realize that someday. But also, let us look at the last part of verse 10. Why do we go through discipline? Why does our Heavenly Father give us trials? This short phrase that we may share In his holiness. We know based on Isaiah 6 and many other passages in scripture that the Lord is holy. In fact, he is holy, holy, holy. To be holy means to be set apart, to be distinct, to be different. And we learn here that through our trials, we are made more like him. Through the purging of the the fires of this world, we are made more holy. We are made more like God and like Christ. So brothers and sisters, I want to ask you this morning, and if you honestly hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear this. Think of a trial in your life. Maybe it was your car breaking down like mine did this week. Maybe it was a death of a loved one, a breakup, a divorce, a cancer diagnosis, a betrayal of a friend, a natural disaster, whatever. Think of a trial in your life, big, small, what have you. And I want you to fill in the blank. If blank trial had not happened to me, I would not be as much like Christ as I am today. Brothers and sisters, let that be an encouragement to you. That through trials, big and small, we are being made more like Christ So do not regard lightly your trials. Do not neglect the discipline of the Lord, but be thankful for it. It's a lesson in my own life I've had to learn over the past seven months, and I pray that you learn it too. Through trials, we come to share in God's holy character. Just as he is set apart, so our trials set apart to live a righteous life for our good and for his glory. We endure discipline by forgetting not God's love. But lastly, my final point this morning is that we endure discipline by focusing on the reward. We endure discipline by focusing on the reward. Read with me verse 11. That's a typo there. It should say verse 11. My bad. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Brothers and sisters, when I was running that marathon... Might be a little embarrassing, but when I got to mile seven or eight, I literally closed my eyes for a couple seconds. I made sure there was, you know, no grandmas in front of me running the marathon. I had a straightaway. I was good. There were some grandmas running. I'm not even going to lie to you. Talk about enduring till the end. Yeah. I closed my eyes. 
and I felt the pain in my legs. I felt my inability to take a deep breath and I knew that I had five, six miles to go. And I pictured the finish line. And I pictured myself taking that final step across that final line in enduring. And here in verse 11, I think that's exactly what the author of Hebrews does. He says, yes, discipline's hard. That's the point. Discipline shouldn't be easy. Nobody wakes up in the morning going, man, let's run a half marathon today, right? Nobody wakes up in the morning going, man, I hope that my parents take away my phone or shorten my curfew or whatever it may be. Nobody, nobody says that. It's, it's painful. That's the point. We learn in the pain. But what the author tells us here is that there is a purpose for that pain. Look at what he says. That after the pain, after the trial, we yield, or in other words, harvest a peaceful fruit of righteousness. That is our passing of the finish line. And I think as I as I meditated on this this morning, I think that this is bothly in this life, but also in the life to come. In this direct context, I think this peaceful fruit of righteousness speaks of enduring those trials, those, those little or even big trials in this life. And once they pass, we, we understand that we get this peaceful fruit of righteousness. But how much more in heaven? And I think that that's the broader context as we continue to read Hebrews 12. If we had time, we would see that we are going to this kingdom that will not be shaken. That we will endure perfect peace and perfect righteousness. That, that, that sin will be no more. That is the finish line. The author refers to the end goal as a peaceful fruit of righteousness. And I'll be honest, I have no clue how to preach that. I don't know how to describe to y'all what a peaceful fruit of righteousness is because I think you just have to experience it. But I think we all know because hopefully in this room, many of us are Christians and we realize that once we have gotten through a trial, we realize two things. Firstly, we realize the righteousness that is produced in us. We realize that we can look back in our rearview mirror and see that though it was difficult, we learn Though it was difficult, we grow. Though it was difficult, we are trained to be more like Christ. I've spoken on that much already. But also, we see the peace. As if a weight was lifted off our shoulders. As if a burden had rolled off our backs after we have thoroughly endured our trials. The author ends this, this section of Hebrews by by writing that this peaceful fruit of righteousness only comes, quote, to those who have been trained by it. I think what the author is trying to get across here, as one commentator puts it, that it is important that suffering be accepted in the right spirit. For if we do not endure suffering with the right spirit, we will not obtain the right result. And I think that that, that points us back to verse 5, which I kind of skipped over, but I want to come back to it. That the right spirit in which we should endure trial is to, verse 5, not regard disciplinely the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. I think there's two poles of enduring trials, and I've spoken on one of them a lot. I've spoken on one of them. That's, that's when we just give up, right? We're going through these trials, and we just say, I'm just done, right? The entire text of Hebrews is showing us, don't fall off that pit. Don't give up, press on, follow Christ, realize God's love, focus on the reward. But I think there's also this other pit, or maybe they go together, I don't know. But there's this pit where we do not regard heavily the discipline of the Lord. We have these trials come upon us and we go, Ugh, whatever, Ugh, whatever. And we just, we might endure them, 
But when we get past them, we don't really learn anything. I don't know about you, but there's some people in my life that have endured awful trials and they have not allowed the Lord to teach them because they have been so disobedient in them. But what the author of Hebrews tells us that the peaceful fruit of righteousness only comes to those who have let themselves be trained by trial. The peaceful fruit of righteousness only comes to those who, in the terms of verse 5, regard heavily the discipline of the Lord, who look to the Lord just like Job did amidst his trials in worship and trust and lean on the rock of Christ. Brothers and sisters, your suffering is not in vain. There is a purpose to your pain. God is growing you to become more like Christ. So in conclusion today, we have realized how we must endure for the sake of discipline. In other words, that we must go through trials in order to be trained. That we must suffer so that we can become more like Christ. We've looked at three ways on on how to do that. We must follow Christ's example. We must forget not God's love. We must focus on the reward. Before I end my sermon today, I want to do two things. Firstly, I want to remind us of the gospel. And secondly, I promised you all a poem. But firstly, let us remind ourselves of the gospel. We are called to endure, but it is not our endurance that saves us. It is Christ's endurance that saves us. God is holy. We are not. So how do we climb our way back to God? Answer, we don't. We realize that Christ has for us. The way to God is not a ladder, it's a cross. Jesus Christ has died. He lived a perfect life and then he died. But he has risen again for our justification. So that we, yes, can look to him as a model for how to suffer, but also be encouraged that when we have failed, it is not our blood that atones for our sins. It is his. And that if we repent and believe in the gospel and commit to the Lord to endure our trials by the power of his Holy Spirit, by the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will save. And if none of you, if some of you have never done that, let today be the day of your salvation. Lastly, John Newton, in 1779, wrote a poem called Prayers Answered by Crosses, or a hymn, rather. In this poem, he, he asked the Lord that he might grow, and through the poem we find that the Lord grew him in a way that he did not expect. Hear these words as we close. I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith, in love, and every grace. Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But hear this, it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins, give me rest. But instead of this he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed, intent to aggravate my woe. 
Crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will you pursue thy worm to death? This is the way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free. And break thy schemes of earthly joy, brothers and sisters, that we may seek thy all in Christ. We endure discipline for the purpose of godliness. That through the hardness of life, we might grow to become more like Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that it has been to look at your word. Lord, I praise you for how it has fashioned, it has shaped me. And I pray now by your Holy Spirit's application that it would fashion and that it would, it would transform the rest of us. Lord, we thank you for your son who has both given us a model to suffer, but also atoned for our sins when we do not suffer well. And we pray this morning, this week, this month, and for the rest of our lives as we press on towards that final finish line in the sky where we will be with Christ. We ask that by your Holy Spirit's power you would strengthen us to endure. In your son's name I pray, amen.